0: Greeny with Mike Greenberg, the podcast.
1: Yes, it is. We are back and better than ever. Greeny with you presented by Progressive Insurance, and we have terrific guests today on the Goodyear hotline, including Kurt Warner and Mike Hongren. The green list today will be about the greatest Super Bowl runs in history. We've got the quarterback uh, controversy in Dallas. We have the quarterback carousel spinning out of control. We got Hembo. We got Bubba. We got calls today for sure, but... We begin with sad news that we received just a little while ago, and that is of the passing of Marty Schottenheimer. Marty died yesterday at his home at the age of 77. And this comes as no surprise to anyone who's been following this situation. His family released a statement last week. We talked about it here on this show, that he had been moved into hospice care. He was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease in 2014. And I want to talk about Marty Schottenheimer, the man, because... I can list for you all the things he accomplished as a football coach. He was a great coach, an all-time great coach. Won 200 games in the National Football League. Coached as a head coach in four different places, beginning in Cleveland where he was the coach of really good teams in the late 80s, suffering two heartbreaking losses. Those two games in the late 80s there where they lost on the drive and they lost on the fumble. Those were Marty's teams. Then he went to Kansas City for 10 years. They made the playoffs seven times. They had really good teams there. And, and as as an era that I think is remembered mostly for the, the heartbreaking losses that they had at home. He then came and worked here at ESPN for a year, and that is when I got to know him personally a little bit, and that's what I really want to talk about. But just to finish up the summation of his career, he then went to Washington for one season and finally was the coach of the San Diego Chargers for several very successful seasons. They had really good years. He was named the coach of the year. Those are the early Philip Rivers teams and and Sean Merriman and LT and those guys. So he wound up winning 200 games as a coach in a career that is remembered in some ways for a lot of the heartbreaking defeats, as much as many of the wins. But the measure of a man's life should not be in a list of his coaching accomplishments. And Marty Schottenheimer was about a lot more than that. I remember him vividly. Again, he worked at ESPN for a period of time. And I remember coming into work and he would be in our morning meeting. And he would always have, every single day, he would bring in a legal pad, you know, like one of those big yellow legal pads. And it would be blank when we started. And he had a pencil, not a pen, a pencil. And we would sit down in our meeting and he would start taking notes. And I'm going to tell you right now that for many, many years that I have worked at this company, I have seen a million coaches come through here and a great many of them are just here to keep themselves relevant and to keep themselves occupied while they are between jobs. And Marnie made no secret of the fact that it was his intention to go back to coaching. But one of the things that I really admired the most about him just, and I think I learned something about his work ethic, just the kind of person that he was, was that he worked as hard as anybody I've ever seen here. He worked as hard as I did, and I was planning on making my career here. I'm still here 25 years later. Marty, every single day by the end of the day, that legal pad was filled up with notes. All these different notes in pencil of all the different things he wanted to talk about and things that we had said in the meeting and all this different football that he could teach. He was a a magnificent teacher of the sport. He loved doing it. He was surrounded by his family at the end including his two kids, one of whom is Brian Schottenheimer, which is a name that if you follow football, you obviously know. And I have gotten to know Brian over the years and his wife, Jemmy, and they're terrific people. And so I know the family a little bit. And so I am sad. While um, I know a little bit, unfortunately, too personally about the difficulties of having someone that you love suffering from dementia, there is still a sadness that goes along with the relief when it comes to an end. And so, um, you know, from um, my wife, Stacey, and me, our, our thoughts are with the Schottenheimer family, with Brian and Jemmy and everyone in that family. Um, and Marty was just a really good man. He was someone that I got to know a little and whom I really, really liked. And uh, so I'm sad today, and I know the entire football world is sad today, and I can promise you that and we're, we'll talk to Kurt Warner about it a little bit, and we'll talk to Mike Holmgren about it, and we'll see if we can't make some other phone calls today. But the testament, the testimony... The things that will be said today about Marty Schottenheimer will be about a man that everybody loved. Marty was about as universally well-liked and well-regarded and well-respected for his personal integrity, for for the human being that he was, as anybody in football. I remember when Marty got fired in Washington, there was a lot of criticism of Dan Snyder. And I remember Mike Ditka came on the air on Mike and Mike. And said, if you can't get along with Marty shot no, 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 it wasn't. Excuse me. I take it back. I don't want to mistell the story. It wasn't about Snyder. It was about a personality clash in San Diego. I, I'm not even going to attach a name to it because I don't remember who it was. And it doesn't matter. I don't want to get that part of the story wrong. The interesting part of the story is what Ditka said. Marty had been involved in a personality clash with someone. And we asked Mike Ditka about it on Mike and Mike. And Ditka said, and I quote, If you can't get along with Marty Schottenheimer, then you got to be a real horse's butt. And he actually said, "butt," which if you know Mike Ditka, you know, is a pretty unique thing. So Ditka loved Marty Schottenheimer. Marty was actually a a linebacker. He played in the, the old American Football League for a few years, but he'll always be remembered as a great coach. He is the winningest coach in NFL history, not to have won a championship. He had a losing record in a total of two out of his 21 seasons. He lost nine playoff games by five or fewer points. That's what I mean by the heartbreaking defeats. Five or fewer points nine times and just kept coming back. And there were three coaches on his coaching tree who did win championships, including one who won a championship two days ago. Bruce Arians is on Marty Schottenheimer's coaching tree. Bill Cowher is on Marty Schottenheimer's coaching tree. And Tony Dungy is on Marty Schottenheimer's coaching tree. I think we have Tony coming on tomorrow, but we'll try and get some more reaction to this today. This this is a name that you may not know all that well because it has been a while. But I'm telling you that in an era of pro football, when football was as good as it has ever been, Marty Schottenheimer was right there in the middle of all of it. So again, our thoughts are with his family and with all those who were close to him and all those who loved him. So that's where it begins today, and I think it is the only appropriate place to begin today. There are any number of other things that I I had planned to start with today that we will be getting to in a moment here again. Kurt Warner is going to join me coming up next. We've got a fascinating question of the day. It involves Patrick Mahomes, and there is news on him as well. I don't know how significant this news actually is, but there is the news that we just got in the last 15 or 20 minutes or so that Patrick Mahomes is going to have surgery on his turf toe tomorrow. Assuming that all goes fine, it shouldn't have any impact on anything. But I think it is a testament to just how injured he was, just how significant that injury was. And the fact that he ran 497 yards on Sunday before either throwing a pass or getting sacked is just further testimony to the extraordinary bravery of his performance. He didn't play great and his team played terribly, but I thought it was a a gutsy performance by Mahomes. And this news today, I think, only further enhances that. So we are just getting started again. My name is Greeny. I am, as always, presented by Progressive Insurance. My guests, including Kurt Warner, who will join me live next, as always, are on the Goodyear Hotline. Our thoughts are with Marty Schottenheimer's family today. And we will get back and start the show in earnest in just a moment. Greeny on ESPN Radio.
2: Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details.
0: Greeny, the podcast.
1: Greeny with you on ESPN Radio. We stream live every single day on ESPN Plus. You can watch the show and catch up there anytime you want. The Hall of Famer Kurt Warner will join me in exactly 30 seconds. I will spend those 30 seconds reminding you that you can find great candidates to hire. Because sometimes that can be like trying to find a needle in a haystack, right? You can post your job to some job board, but then all you can do is hope the right person comes along. This is why you should try ZipRecruiter instead. Its powerful technology actively finds and invites qualified candidates to apply to your job. It's no wonder that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. So see for yourself. Right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Greeny at ZipRecruiter.com G-R-E-E-N-Y. And our next guest is one of only two quarterbacks in history to average 300 passing yards per game in the playoffs. The Hall of Famer Kurt Warner is back with me on ESPN Radio. Good morning, Kurt Warner.
0: Good morning, Greeny. How are you? Well,
1: that was set up for me by Hembo here in the form of a trivia question, and I don't know the answer. Kurt Warner is one of two quarterbacks in NFL history to average 300 yards passing in the playoffs per game. And Hembo put the question up, who is the other? And I don't know the answer. Do you have any idea who the answer is, Kurt? If not, we're going to have – do you want to take a crack? I don't know the answer to this question.
0: Uh, I, I don't know either. I thought it was Mahomes um, going into to this year, but I, I don't know the answer to that either. Who is it? The answer Drew Brees. it would the, probably be another guy.
3: Drew Brees is close. The answer is actually Dan Fouts. Oh, Dan Fouts. Dan Fouts and Kurt Warner. Yeah. Oh, wow.
1: Oh, there you go. Okay. That's pretty good company for you to wow. be keeping there, Warner. Not too bad. Okay. <laughs> Let's get down to business. I loved the tweet that I saw from you yesterday, and I will read it now. You wrote, I know popular opinion is that the Chiefs lost because of offensive line struggles. They weren't great, but no one expected them to be. My bigger takeaway is that it was about play calls, designs, lack of quicks, lack of formations to attack the two-man and some struggles by Patrick Mahomes more than it was the offensive line. Kurt, I'm dying to hear all about this. (laughs)
0: <laughs> All right, Greeny. Well, first thing I always like to do when, when somebody wins a Super Bowl is let's give credit to Tampa Bay because mm-hmm. that's really where it started is Tampa Bay outplayed them in every facet. That, probably the only place you could look is the tight end position, and Gronk was awesome. Kelsey may have been a little bit better, but Tampa Bay won this game first and foremost. But, you know, the, the game plan that Todd Bowles had was a great game plan, and, and we kind of knew going in we're going to keep a safety over the top. They ran a lot of what we call two-man, man underneath, uh, two safeties over the top so they couldn't get deep. Um, and in a situation like that, you have to be able to design and create opportunities for your playmakers. And, it, and it's not that hard. I mean, stack formations, uh, certain kinds of motions, bunch formations force them to try to play man and have to work through guys. And I guess, you know, that to me is where it started, that we knew we were going to struggle at the offensive line position. So I was I would have had a billion quick plays built into this game plan to get the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hands very, very quickly. They didn't do that. Once I saw what Tampa was doing, I would have had a bunch of formations uh, that I would have gone to that would have forced their hand or at least been harder for them to play their two-man coverage like they did. Um, and then, I you know, Patrick Mahomes didn't play one of his better games. There were things that he missed, uh, places that I thought he, he read, uh, you know, read plays the wrong way. Uh, which is unlike him. And then, you know, one of the hard things, Greening is that, you know, and I talk about it all the time, these quarterbacks that are so mobile and so active and make so many plays on the move that it's got to be a really tough balance to realize, okay, when do I stay in the pocket? When do I slide up in the pocket? And when do I, in Patrick Mahomes' case, continue to backpedal or, or, or bail out of the pocket instead of hanging in there and making some throws down the field? And there were a number of plays that I thought – Worked out like that, that his drops were a little too deep. He kept taking those drops. And, again, we saw it a year ago in the Super Bowl, right? He took, like, a 14-step drop and throws the wasp play. And it's the play of the game. And they end up winning and all of that stuff. But there's times that stuff can come back to haunt you. And I felt there were times in this game that Patrick was just moving too much. And he wouldn't settle in the pocket. And he wasn't on time with throws. And, you know, and, again, it's, it's hard when you've got an offensive line that's a little bit makeshift. You know, one of the lines I use is you got to trust the guys up front, even when they don't give you a reason to trust them. Mm. You've got to be able to, you know, take those five guys and take them out of the equation and play every play as if they're going to block their guys and then react accordingly. But when you start to look at those, the pass rush, and you start to move a little bit more because you're not sure if those guys are going to be blocked, it gets you off of your game. You don't play, you miss certain things. And I felt those were the things that really got this thing rolling in the wrong direction. Um, You know, but again, the offensive line wasn't great. There was makeshift. There were some issues at times where they gave up quick pressure. But that, to me, was the story of the game from the Chiefs' offensive standpoint uh, if I was going to go back and break it down.
1: Greeny and Kurt Warner, the Hall of Famer, with me on the Goodyear Hotline, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. I'm with you. And, And I also think there is an element, and it was actually Howie Long who was on this show who was talking about this yesterday, an element of patience, And you would get this better than anybody, Kurt, because you were the quarterback of this super high-flying offensive team. An element of patience that they didn't demonstrate, that the way you attack what Tampa was doing defensively is take what they're giving you, take the check down, run the football. They actually ran it for over six yards a carry. They just never really stuck with it or tried to do it, and it just looked like they didn't have the patience to do it. Kurt, is that what you saw?
0: Yeah, and it started at the beginning. Um, Because, again, when you talk about patience, um, you're right. they would run a lot of run-pass options. There was a number of times, just hand the football off and go because the number count was in your favor. Or, uh, as I said, you come into this game believing you're going to have to throw the ball quick a lot. And early in this game, they were trying to play the way they've always played and really stretching the field. And everybody was going deep, and there wasn't a lot of options underneath – for Patrick Mahomes, and so I, I am fully with you. Is that I? I would have thought that would have been the plan going into this game, mm. knowing what you had up front. Um, and now again, if you get the situation like you did in Week Twelve, and they're pressing your fastest guy, and you get man to man across the board, that's an easy adjustment to make. Is oh, let's go back to doing what we do. But coming into this game, that's what I would have expected. Is hey, we're gonna have to run the ball more to protect those guys. We're gonna have to. Get Patrick on the move. We're going to have to throw a lot more quick things early as we get into this thing and get some momentum on our side. And I didn't see that happen at all, especially early. They were trying to chunk the ball down the field. They weren't getting it, and it led to, yes, them getting impatient and them you know, trying to do things that Tampa was just not going to let them do. Um, and, you know, again, you tip your hat to Todd Bowles in Tampa. They had a great plan. But I just I didn't like the adjustments and the plan going in by by Kansas City's office.
1: I'm with you. I, I'm so glad to hear you saying that because um the reality of it is it's okay to be a little critical of people who've otherwise been unbelievable. And Patrick Mahomes, this doesn't change the fact that he's trending towards being as good as anybody we've ever seen, but he isn't perfect. We sometimes, because we had never really seen him play a bad game, we sometimes just don't think that's even possible. And that was part of the story on Sunday. I'm Greeney. I'm presented by Progressive Insurance, with insurance for cars, homes, boats, motorcycles, RVs, and commercial vehicles at 1-800-PROGRESSIVE and Progressive.com. On the other side, Kurt, there's Tom Brady. And he did something on Sunday that you actually came very close to doing. Uh, you, you got within like 10 seconds of doing it. Um, but now he and Peyton Manning are actually the only two guys ever to be the starting quarterback on two different teams to win the Super Bowl. How, how would you're one who had a really good second act? In some ways, it was your third act in, in Arizona. What do you make of, of the challenge of doing that and what Brady has done here in Tampa in just one season?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's impressive. I mean, you know, what Tom Brady does and what he brings is is unique. Now, you know, I will say, Greeny, this is probably one of the most talented teams that he's been on. So just from a talent standpoint, I'm not surprised that this team won the Super Bowl, went as far as they did. But, you know, I also tweeted, you know, the other day, I think one of the things I took away as I was in doing the radio call and just watching how this all played out in the post game and what people said about him, you know, it was interesting to me that everyone, uh, from ownership to coach to players, talked about uh, bringing in this guy that had been there before. And and what I mean by that is they all went into this and said, "Hey, we need to be led to this place. We've got great people in place, but we need a leader that understands this and understands how to get there." And so they went out and got Tom Brady, and it looked. It seemed to me that all those different positions looked to Tom to say, lead us, lead us there. And I think that's such a unique thing because I've been on a number of teams that were really talented. And, you know, there was a number of approaches to it. And a lot of guys, I think, went into the situation going, I don't really need to be led. I'm already good enough. I just need to do what I do. Instead of allowing leaders to take control and shape what they're doing I, I thought that was kind of the thing that jumped out to me the most in the post game was they brought tom there and said tom shake this for us mm. you have been there you know how to do it Shake this and, and you know from coaches you know you heard it a couple of weeks ago hey we let tom brady coach we let tom brady do his thing the glazers were talking about it say hey my dad said you know if you want to get somewhere you go find someone that's been there before and, and players said that along the way that man he came in and he showed us how to do this thing and how to shape this thing so we could win a championship. And that, to me, is A, the most impressive thing about Tom Brady is his leadership, what he brings, the standard that was lifted from the time he got there. But the second part, that the the organization as a whole said, we don't have that piece. You know, we don't have that leader that can take us to that next step. We need to do everything we can to get that guy. They went out and got Tom Brady. Everybody opened up to say, okay – We understand, you know, we might be good at what we do, but we need you to show us how to take what we have and make it a championship team. And that to me is what stuck out. That to me is what shapes Tom Brady as the special player that he is, is that I can look back to to, to our game when he beat us 19 years ago. He didn't have a great game. It wasn't like he was this Tom Brady and threw for 300 yards. And and even the other night, he didn't have to throw for a bunch of yards. It's what he brings from a leadership and what he – You know, what emanates from him that says, we will be successful? You know, I I heard that too. I'm sure you did that. He Mm -hmm. sent out a text like the night before the Super Bowl or whatever and said, we will win. We will win. And and it's that kind of stuff to go, hey, trust me, follow me. I will show you the way here. You guys have to play and do your thing, but I will show you how this is done. And, And if you watch that game, that's what, to me, Tom did early. He didn't have to do a whole lot in the second half, but he showed them early. Okay, we need a play to be made. Boom, I'll get you a touchdown. We need another play to be made. They make a couple of mistakes. Boom, I'll get you another touchdown. And that belief that he brings is so unique and so rare and to me is what separates him as a great winner.
1: And that is how you take, as you say, a really talented team and teach them how to win. And that is how they got their ring. Uh, Kurt Warner, it is always a pleasure to catch up. Thank you so much. It's a, a fascinating season. The offseason is going to be just as good. And we will, we will call your number again soon. Thanks a million. Always appreciate it.
0: All right, Green, I look forward to it.
1: Take care. That's Kurt Warner again, Hall of Famer, looking back on the Super Bowl and ahead to what is going to be interesting. And I mentioned that they got their ring, which is a fascinating point. And that's exactly what happened. They had a bunch of good players and they they had the horses and they had been brought to water, but someone needed to show them how to drink. And that's what Tom Brady did. That's how they got their ring. They got their ring is brought to you by Macy's. And I think that's an interesting way to put it. And if you look at the two teams that we saw on Sunday, it does make you think about which one is coming back. And the inclination is immediately to say Kansas City because Mahomes will be 26 and Brady will be 44 next year. But there are two things on that. First, let's not kid ourselves. Brady has this whole thing figured out. He will look handsomer and more vibrant next year. His hairline will continue to advance rather than recede. He genuinely is Dorian Gray, okay? Somewhere in the world, there exists a painting of a very old and ugly Tom Brady. But that's not who he is as a person. It is not going to keep him off the field. The other piece of this is Mahomes, or more to the point, the company that he keeps. So Nuno asked a great question in the notes today, and I'm going to ask it to you. You ask these questions.
0: Greeny's question of the day.
1: Are we sure that Mahomes is headed for Brady-like greatness and not to be stuck in Roger's goodness? Let's be very, very clear. Aaron Rodgers is going to retire one of these days as one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, one of the best players we've ever seen in our entire lives, but in that sort of collection of other great ones. If you look back on his career, he won a championship early, never got another. Got close, has been close multiple times, hasn't gotten back. Now let's look at the AFC. It's easy to say, oh, there's a dynasty waiting to happen it's funny what one game can do to your perspective on things. And all of a sudden you look at a conference that has Josh Allen, that has Justin Herbert, that has Lamar Jackson, that at the moment, and maybe will continue to have, Deshaun Watson. Plus Trevor Lawrence is coming. Joe Burrow is there. A lot of young studs. They're not all going to sit back and say, okay, you're going to be the Brady of this generation. You win all the championships and we'll just pile up a bunch of numbers. That's not the way this thing is going to go. So the question is, is Mahomes on a trajectory to be the next Brady or on a trajectory to be the next Rodgers? I'll tell you right now, and we'll make this our straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Overwhelmingly, the odds suggest he's going to be Rodgers. Because the great ones just don't win more than two. It is remarkably rare. You can count on your fingers of one hand how many guys have won more than two. Brady has just skewed the equation. But there is Bradshaw, and there is uh, Montana, and there is Aikman. And I'm now done. That's it. Peyton Manning, all-time great. Only won two. Two's great. So all of a sudden this idea... That Patrick Mahomes is going to make a run. Ben Roethlisberger won a title at 23. He's won one more. Tom Brady won a title at 24. Let's put him in a different conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Russell Wilson won a championship at 25. Hasn't won another. Joe Namath won a championship at 25. Hasn't won another. Aaron Rodgers won a championship at 27. Hasn't won another. Are you starting to put together a little bit of 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 a pattern here? These things are not guaranteed. You don't just start where you were. Kansas City does not start next season at the kickoff of the Super Bowl saying, you know, if we could play that game over again, we would do it differently. They got a long way to go to get back there. So it's a fascinating question. Right now, if you were to bet on it, would you bet that in the end, Mahomes' career is going to be one that looks more like Aaron Rodgers or looks more like Tom Brady? That's not to suggest there's anything wrong with being Aaron Rodgers. He's a first ballot Hall of Fame immortal, one of the greatest of all time. Mahomes would do unbelievably well to wind up there. It's amazing what one game can do to your perspective. Straight talk, wireless, no contract, no compromise. Meanwhile, on the other side, the accolades just continue to fly. Tom Brady, of all all the many things that he did this season, 43, changing teams, leading this team. Team hadn't won a playoff game in 18 years. We can talk all we want about how great the players were, and there was a lot of talent on that team. They had one pro bowler, one. Jason Pierre-Paul's the only guy on that team who went to the pro bowl this year. So Tom Brady carried that team to a championship, and he did it by traversing one of the most difficult paths in Super Bowl history. And that's today's list.
3: The list is what determines who matters in this business.
1: The Green List. All right, here we go. Today's Green List. Again, as always, the top five as chosen by me and exclusively me, the world's foremost authority on all matters. And today... The five greatest Super Bowl runs in Super Bowl history as described by the quarterbacks they beat. Which teams made the greatest runs as far as the quarterbacks they beat to win a Super Bowl? Number five. Number five, I'm going all the way back to Super Bowl 11 And Ken Stabler, when the Raiders won the Super Bowl that year, he beat Fran Tarkenton in the Super Bowl. He beat Terry Bradshaw in the AFC Championship game. Now, that's two Hall of Famers. And Bradshaw, of course, a four-time champion, Tarkenton, went to three Super Bowls. People think he went to four. He was only the quarterback for three of those Minnesota teams, but either way. The other quarterback that Bradshaw, that Stabler beat that year was Steve Grogan. He was a good quarterback. He was by no means a Hall of Famer, not even close to being a Hall of Famer. So that's the only thing that knocks it down the list a little bit. But the Snake gets the five spot on today's list of the greatest roads. To a Super Bowl. Number four. At four is Drew Brees. And this one is really remarkable. You go back to that title that Brees won about a decade ago. He beat Kurt Warner, Brett Favre, and Peyton Manning. That's three Hall of Famers. And three big room Hall of Famers, right? Like, not all Hall of Famers are created equal. Warner is a is a, is a Hall of Famer. Favre is like in... Like that big room. Like the Farve's is in the room. Like like if you've ever been to like a really famous art museum and they have like a couple of really famous pieces of artwork in there, like all the art is fabulous. But you know when you're coming to the room at the Louvre where the Mona Lisa is. Because <laughs> right? the line is like out the door and everyone's got their cameras ready. You can see a lot of really interesting nude statues used to make my kids laugh. And my kids always laugh. Look at the butts, daddy. Those are all priceless works of art too. But when you get near the Mona Lisa room, you know it. Brett Favre and Peyton Manning are in that room. So that's what separates this one. So Drew Brees is four on today's list. Number three. Of the toughest roads. Stay with me on this one. Joe Flacco is next, and here's why. He had to win four games to do it. He had to beat Andrew Luck. Now, Luck is not considered among the greatest quarterbacks ever, strictly because he didn't play long enough. But you cannot knock Luck down at all. Blacko beat Kaepernick in the Super Bowl. Kaepernick at that time was an excellent quarterback. Ron Jaworski was saying he might be the greatest of all time. For any number of reasons that we're all well aware of, it didn't go that way. But he also beat Peyton Manning and Tom Brady. He beat Luck, Manning, Brady, and Kaepernick. Four games to win that Super Bowl. That is worthy of his spot on this list. He's three on the list of toughest roads to win a Super Bowl. Number two. Number two. This is epic. Troy Aikman. In one of the two Super Bowl years that he had, to count up these Roman numerals, Super Bowl twenty-eight, he beat Brett Favre, Steve Young, and Jim Kelly. Mm. I really considered making that number one. I agonized over this decision. Nuno and I, we're getting ready to do Get Up this morning, and I've got Nuno on the FaceTime, and he and I are going back and forth for like three I'm hearing <laughs> the count in my ear. Like, Greeny, you're live at 10, 9, and I'm thinking to myself, which one goes number one? You beat Favre, Young, and Kelly in one postseason run. That could easily have been number one on today's list, but it's not. Number one. I had to give it to Brady this year. I had to. Oh, yes, he beat Taylor Heineke in the wildcard round. With no disrespect to Mr. Heineke. But then he beat Drew Brees on the road, Aaron Rodgers on the road, and Patrick Mahomes, who's the heir to his throne. I think that's number one. Brees, small room, Mona Lisa room. Aaron Rodgers, Mona Lisa room. Patrick Mahomes, he's like painting the Mona Lisa. Like he's he's someone we're coming to watch him paint this thing. So I'm going to go number one on the list this year. Tom Brady, the best Super Bowl run that we have ever seen as judged by the quarterbacks that you beat along the way. That was a tough list to put together. Coming up next, I will tell you who is by far the biggest threat to Brady's Bucs next year in the NFC, and it isn't Green Bay. This is ESPN Radio.
3: To connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today.
0: Greeny, the podcast.
3: Greeny with
1: you as we roll along here. And a reminder that our show is also on ESPN Plus every single day. And if you're looking for world-class soccer... ESPN Plus is the place to find it. Over 20 international leagues and tournaments, Bundesliga, MLS, FA Cup, Copa del Rey, a whole lot more. Sign up. A lot of great stuff to be found at ESPNPlus.com. Okay, so I told you a moment ago that there is a team that I believe is the biggest threat to Brady's Bucks in the NFC next year, and it is not Green Bay. Hashtag KOD.
0: The kiss of death.
1: Did you read the story about how players are texting Matthew Stafford and saying, bring me with you to L.A.? Matthew Stafford is either a good quarterback who was on terrible teams for a long time and could not lift them, or a great quarterback who was on terrible teams for a long time and could not lift them. We are now going to find out which of those two is true. I'm betting on the second. I believe it is the latter. I believe that Matt Stafford was surrounded by a level of ineptitude that no one could have overcome. And I believe you put his skill set together with the little mastermind that is the coach there, McVeigh, Sean McVeigh in Los Angeles, with that defense and those weapons. And I'm here to tell you right now, and I have a poll question up on my Twitter page at ESPN Greeny. Which team do I have? If I had to bet an amount of money right this minute, that mattered to me on which team I think will win the Super Bowl. Win the Super Bowl next year. I would look long and hard at the Rams. I'm turning to my VP of stats analysis, analytics, general good humor, Hembo. You like that bet or wouldn't like that bet?
3: It's a decent bet. What we just saw the Bucks do. It's gonna be hard to bet against them. And it was also hard to bet um in favor of Matt Stafford when he's not so much as won a single playoff game, but you're betting on the combination of Stafford and McVay, whom we know is somewhat of a genius.
1: I am a person who has spent my entire life rooting for ineptitude. I know ineptitude corrupts absolutely. So I am betting on the fact that, the, that Matt Stafford winning no playoff games has nothing to do, or at least has a lot less to do with Matt Stafford than it does with everybody else. And as I bring in my disheveled board operator, Brendan Bubba Peregrine for his take on this, I ask you, and, and I will preface this, and anyone who listens to the show knows, Bubba is a crazy cowboy fan. Why do you think of my take the Rams are the team to beat in the NFC next year?
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess it's okay. I mean, they're the team to beat, I guess, maybe in the NFC West, but the team to beat is the Cowboys. So, yeah, I mean, they're the
1: team to beat in the NFC West. Congrats. Your passion for your team continues (laughs) to – I continue to admire it, but I want to make sure that I call to your attention. the scoop Today's scoop, which is the Dallas Cowboys verified Twitter, which released a 32-second hype video yesterday – And there are shots on it of Troy Aikman and Emmitt Smith and other Cowboys legends. And then a lengthy list of shots of current Cowboys players, including Ezekiel Elliott and a whole bunch of other guys on this team, some of whom you know, C.D. Lamb, some of whom you don't. I don't even know who these players are. One guy who only played 20 snaps on special teams this year is on the hype video. And you know who isn't? Dak Prescott. And the explanation from the organization was, this has nothing to do with the football decision makers. So there's no story here. And my response is, I don't think you're making the point you think you're making. No one is suggesting that Jerry Jones said, leave Dak Prescott off the hype video. But how in the world do you make a hype video and leave the quarterback off? The quarterback is the only obvious one. He's the only immediate one. There is no hype video without the quarterback. There's no hype without the quarterback. (laughs) Would the Green Bay Packers release a hype video without Aaron Rodgers on it? Would the Indianapolis Colts in their heyday, have released a hype video without Peyton Manning on it? If the Tampa Bay Buccaneers had created a hype video before they got Tom Brady, they would have deleted it and made a new hype video. So Bubba... I'm going to ask you to speak on behalf of your entire organization. How do you defend the lack of Dak Prescott on a
2: 32-second hype video? Well, this one, uh, yeah. You know, at first,
0: honestly, I thought they were just uh, wanting to give the other guys some shine. Yeah. But uh, honestly, the more I think about it, and I really dove deep onto this one, I think back to my time as a Mets fan and uh, you speak of inept, the Mets have made so many inept decisions that make absolutely no sense that, honestly, I buy their argument that I think they just made a mistake because the Mets have done so many things that make no sense that I honestly just think they had no idea what they were doing and made a mistake because it, it makes no sense, and that's the only. it actually is so insane that it actually makes sense that that's what they did. Let me
1: ask you a question. You're probably not old enough to remember the greatest team the Mets ever had, which is the 1986 New York Mets, who won the world. How, what year were you born, Bubba? 84. All right, we're done with this conversation now. I'm wearing clothing older than you are. But one way or another, the 86 Mets, which is the best team in Mets history, the, the most legendary team in Mets history is going yeah, to be the 69 guys. Mets. But the 86 Mets are the best team they ever had, and they're one of the best teams I've ever seen. And I'm telling you right now, they would not have made a – I don't care how inept you think the franchise is – They would not have made a hype video and not put Daryl Strawberry on it. That just wouldn't have happened. They wouldn't have made a hype video and not put Doc Gooden on it. They wouldn't have made a hype video and left off Keith Hernandez and Gary Carter. Well, that was a different time. We're talking about a different, you know. different. Those were the stars of the team. Dak Prescott is the star and the quarterback of the team. You cannot make a hype video without the quarterback. So the idea that this happened is in and of itself, even if it isn't important, extraordinarily interesting. And to try and pretend otherwise, I think is just flat out silly. All right. Coming up, we have um, Mike Holmgren and my issue with Roman numerals. Stay close.
0: Greeny, the podcast.
3: Robert Half Research indicates nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this, too.